Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. I think routines are so necessary for children and adolescents. I think it provides safety and security and predictability. And I think that's part of like this upside down feeling right now, the kind of establishing that routine and all is so helpful. But then also when a little bit of something pops up that's not expected, kind of talking them through them, helping them have that coping skill because it's like a practice. Practicing that flexibility muscle helps to build that resilience. Welcome back to the Building Us podcast, a show all about relationships, relationships to your family, your community, your money, and everything in between. It's a show about love and money. This is Building Us. Hey, I'm Dr. Matt Morris, couples therapist and family counselor, joined as always by my co-host, certified financial planner, and many other things, Eric Garcia. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Doing great. You know, this is our, I think, this is our... 36th show ish give or take that's right give or take give or mm-hmm. take or, or maybe 36 just came out and and if it did uh 36 i think was about um saving for college or paying for college or putting your kids through college so if that's mm-hmm. something that is of interest to you definitely go back to 36 or somewhere about there and listen to the police sirens going off in the background as we talk about saving for college it is a two-part series that's a two-part series that um that we did record so it's two weeks uh, so yeah go back and listen to it and we we just appreciate everyone listening it's fun to watch our numbers steadily increase of, of people listening and download so if you enjoy what you are listening to we ask you to take a couple minutes and leave us a um an honest review, if you can, on your favorite podcast listening app and subscribe to the show so you get all of our new episodes first every Thursday morning. So going back to 36, uh, I'm not 36. I'm a little bit older than 36, but 30, mm-hmm. you know, 36 was a, uh, an enjoyable year for me. And I was thinking about 36s, started Googling around for 36s. And some of my favorite uh, sports athletes were, wore the jersey 36. Who wears 36? It, not very it's many. Like obs- not very it's like many. An obscure yeah, number. Very obscure. So I, I have three obscure ones for you. Rasheed Wallace, who was a, a phenomenal basketball player for the Detroit Pistons for many yep. years. Jerome Bettis, who was an amazing running back for the Steelers, my childhood yep. mm-hmm. team. Uh, I've since converted to the Saints for was sure. Was that really your childhood team? Yeah. You know, growing up in New Mexico, we don't have anything. Okay, so that makes sense. New Mexico and Pittsburgh. I I, I see it. I get it. Except for lizards. That's the only thing to root for in New Mexico. And so you have to you have to branch out and find something else. Never been to Pittsburgh, never been to Philadelphia or uh, uh, Pennsylvania. But that was my team. The other 36 that I found interesting was that um, was that Shaquille O'Neal wore 36 for the last season of his NBA career, which is totally unusual. That's a big dude. Yeah, he spoke. He spoke uh, at an online conference um, at the end of last year that I participated in, and he's got his own line of office chairs. 
I bet. I bet like big, uh, a larger chair mm-hmm. probably has his own line of shoe shoe wear footwear. Yeah, big dude. So what are we talking about today, man? What, what do we well, got we have, for thirty seven or thirty six or ish? Yeah, we have a a, a really interesting topic today. Um, we're we're really talking about um, children's experiences of the pandemic and how we as adults hopefully can hold our crap together enough to talk to kids in appropriate ways about the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we're recording this as hopefully the U.S. is starting to make, you know, make some progress in our experience of the pandemic. I was listening to my own kids this morning talking about, you know, maybe by this summer or maybe by the fall or maybe by next year, we won't have to wear masks or something like that. So there, you know, people are aware that things are changing. Um, but th- this topic uh, that we're, we're talking about today has already a year's worth of history to it in, in experiencing the pandemic for, uh, for the past year. Um, and so our guest today is a, a friend of mine um, and a, a wonderful therapist here in New Orleans, Dr. Laura Hernandez. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. I know that you're a... Um, you know, you and I knew knew each other or know each other because mm-hmm. uh, you were a former, you're a, a graduate of the University mm-hmm. of Holy Cross where I teach. And so I got to see your amazing work. And, and that was several years back now. And since then, you've, you've gone on to do so many cool things and, and really um, bringing your skill set to the mental health world of New Orleans. Um, I know that you're a um, that you're a recent convert to the world of private practice and opened your own business and, and are, are the lead at Be Well NOLA Counseling. And so I know that that's an exciting transition probably for you. Yes. Yes. Very exciting. And just for take sure. a minute, introduce yourself and tell us what you've been doing and what you are doing now. And then we'll get into this topic about children in the pandemic. Okay, sounds good. I am Dr. Laura Hernandez. I'm a licensed professional counselor. And like Dr. Morris was saying, um, I'm, I'm newer to the Please private call practice. Me Matt. Call me Matt. Matt. Everybody call As me. Matt was saying, um, I'm newer to the private practice world, but over the last 19 years, I was um, a teacher and a counselor in elementary and middle school and the high school setting. I was an administrator and um, now moving into this counseling role in private practice has been a great adventure. So your your move to private pac- practice was was initiated because of COVID and pandemic. It's kind of like a almost like a Matt and I have been calling it the, the a COVID pivot. This is something that came yeah. out of COVID. That's right. Well, that's right. So I was a counselor in an elementary and middle school, and then most recently in a high school. But while I was in the high school setting, I was actually in private practice in the evenings, seeing clients, and so mm-hmm. that balance was sort of interesting. And then as we went into quarantine. Um, all of our students were virtual. So supporting the students virtually as a counselor um, was a whole new experience. And I sort of had this moment where I was like, wow, I think I may want to be able to help and support children and adolescents through a private practice setting, reach them, have these longer sessions, really be able to kind of teach these coping skills, be there with this anxiety this changing time. So that was, yeah, it was, it was sort of like this COVID pivot where I felt like, you know, let, let me kind of rebuild. I love how y'all refer to it as this next normal, like maybe include my next normal to take this leap into private practice. 
Was it and, was that a hard leap? Was it scary? Like, what was it like? Were you thinking like, oh my gosh, if it doesn't work out, what's going to happen? Or yeah, yeah, it was. It was sort of like um, a leap of faith, and I think that um, I enjoy it so much. So I knew I knew that that part I felt confident about. Like I knew having more time with each family and the parents and the children and adolescents was going to be so fulfilling. Um, I think just the switch, like human beings, we don't love change. So I think like just kind of shifting from, you know, what I was used to with like a typical school setting was sort of an adjustment, but um, it's been really fun. I feel like I'm, I'm growing and, and really loving it. You, you know, your story of starting out as a teacher and then, and then going back to school yourself right. um, mm-hmm. to, to study counseling and become a counselor is a common, a fairly common story experience for me as a professor, we've had lots of teachers over the years come through the program and become counselors. Right. And then, and then getting a job as a school counselor, I'm sure that you were very valued and loved at your school and, and they loved having you. And, and then it's often that the school counselor starts seeing some clients in the evening and kind of moonlight, (laughs) moonlights as a private practitioner. That's not unusual. Uh, School has some restrictions. Generally speaking for school counselors, they're kind of restricted to shorter sessions or, or right. a fewer, fewer number of sessions mm-hmm. before, they, before they have to refer the student out. Um, and so for talented uh, school counselors, they often want to be able to provide those services themselves. They love the student. They, they, they care right. about the student. The student knows them. So they, they start thinking about, let me, could I see some clients in the evenings or maybe on Saturday morning? So they start m- moonlighting in that way. And then eventually they reach the point where they give up their day job. How how was that part for you? I'm sure that was a little different during the pandemic, but how was the, it was, well, I think, you know, yeah. Well, I think that that's exactly what you just said was, I think the pandemic sort of shifted like that just typical kind of daily routine of waking up, going to school, being there for the students kind of running through the day when all of that dropped off, it was almost like it kind of like opened my eyes a little bit like, okay, well, what would this look like if, um, if, if I would wake up and then as we kind of transition into the next normal and things open up, if I would go into like a private practice role. Um, so I think you're right. I think kind of like that pause button of having a moment where everything was different anyway, and then kind of thinking of how to rebuild it did sort of give me maybe a little more confidence or awareness of like, maybe I can make this change because it did, it shifted already. So I think if, I think it wasn't like I was going like a hundred miles an hour doing one thing and then just transitioned, you know what I mean? So I think it's sort of like everything dropping off kind of made me think, okay, well, what would it look like if this was something that I went into? Why, why is it, and I get, maybe, maybe this is, um, I, I think I know why, but I'll ask the two of you as therapists, why is it that it often takes some, some disruptive event yeah. <laughs> to kind of force us to change? Is it because we're, as, as humans, we're just kind of in survival mode and we're, and we're, we're, we're lazy thinkers generally. Mm-hmm. So whatever works, it's working. It might not be best, but it's working. Um, so we're not going to make that change. And then all of a sudden something disruptive happens and um, your eyes are open, right? You you stop and you right. start to almost re-envision, reimagine what your career can look like. What is it? What What is it? You know, the, uh, the funny, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll take a stab at it, but yeah, I, I yeah, didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, mm, you're good. I mean, we're, we're, I don't think we're lazy. I think we're homeostatic <laughs> beings. We're homeostatic yeah. systems. We're always going to be trending toward what is 
-hmm. what is stability you know if you want to call what is that's what i mean by lazy because to 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 move towards the the status quo is uses less energy uses less calories so that's Mm -hmm. i guess what i mean by lazy yeah yeah and i so that that serves a really important function of maintaining stability so all of us who hopefully have something stable in our lives or happy in our lives we maintain that Mm-hmm. by trending back toward that thing to trend back toward what is and so for to shift from what is to what is not or what could be takes a takes a whole lot of ugh, or energy or cataclysm or something yeah. that really just rocks us into something different so changes changes hard not just because it's uncomfortable but because it's actually hard to manufacture at times um it's hard to like get the momentum up for change while you're always facing kind of this tidal pull back toward what is we're homeostatic beings. That's what, that's what I think. Laura, you gotta, I want to hear what Laura yeah, has to no, say. I, no, I agree. I agree with you. I think I was going to say too, is like, it's that what if question that always kind of gets us and, and sort of our brain. Like I always, I always think about how like we're wired like from years and years ago in that survival mode to look at anything that could possibly go wrong. And I think that that is, that's a great coping skill unless it gets stuck in overdrive. But I think that's part of it too. We can kind of get in our own way of thinking of like maybe everything that could potentially go wrong and forgetting that the other side would be like the really great things that could come from it. So I think that change, it can almost like that paralysis analysis, as they say, like you overanalyze it to the point where you just feel like you can't make a, a decision or choice or move forward into that changing yeah. moment. That's generally when, when clients typically or, or new clients typically reach out to me when some, uh, some event happened in their life that impacts their finances, the sale of a property, a pending retirement, a marriage, a baby, something along those lines. So change is sometimes forced upon us. But what Matt and I often talk about, especially in the next normal, is about the fact that we do have agency over certain areas in, in change. Um, and I know you're about to share with us here a poem that you wrote mm-hmm. early on um, in COVID. And, and, you know, one of the lines is when our routines are different, we can feel a little upside down. And that's what change does. It, it kind of it kind of shifts everything. Everything is different and we get fresh perspective, new perspective, and we can decide to take enough time to reflect on it and figure out how we're going to proceed or let it totally devastate us. But anyway, um, I know Matt wanted to share a few things before we let into this. So, yeah, you know, um, Laura, you and I hadn't, hadn't really connected all that much, um, in the last few years. Um, I don't know that I'd really seen you out and about. Um, but I had been doing these trainings to help counselors transition into teletherapy, uh, back in March, I think. And you were in one of those training trainings pretty early on. Um, and after the training, you emailed me, um, a poem that you had written about about children's experience of the pandemic and how to talk to kids about the pandemic. The way I read the poem and I thought, this is great. Um, but as I read it, I thought this is something parents could be reading to their children to help to help facilitate a discussion about what's happening in our world. Um, and so before we discuss the poem, would you would you do us the honor of reading it for us? Sure. I'd love to. Thank you. Okay. So like you said, the name of the poem is Feeling Upside Down. 
There's something different happening in our world today. It feels a little scary when we can't see our friends and play. We love to see each other, holding hands and running together. It's okay to miss doing this, but being distant won't last forever. There are some germs we need to stay safe from, so we need a little time apart. Whoa, stop right there. Don't touch that shopping cart. (laughs) These germs are new to us, so we're trying to discover just the right way to prevent catching it while being close to each other. When our routines are different, we can feel a little upside down. School is closed. Our activities are canceled. A new normal still needs to be found. Mom and dad are our teachers. We're doing our schoolwork online. I'm having to sort through all these different things in my mind. There's a fancy name for these germs. It's called coronavirus or COVID-19. The tricky part of viruses is that germs can't be seen. That's why all these people helping us are so special and so kind, because they're searching for ways to keep us healthy until a cure we can find. So now we must remember what the doctors are telling us to do. Wash your hands for 20 seconds and stay distant from each other, just to name a few. These things will help to keep our body healthy and strong, but we need to think about our mind, feelings, and spirit along with all your healthy habits. Let's talk about some stuff that will help your brain, feelings, and spirit stay healthy when things are getting tough. It's okay to feel nervous and have big feelings during this time. Who can you talk to? Tell them what's on your mind. Keeping a journal is helpful when you have a lot to think of each day. It gives your mind a break and helps chase the blues away. Feelings come and feelings go. They will constantly be flowing. Learn to ride the wave of feelings that are coming and going. Meditation is another key to finding peace in your day. Take time to breathe and quiet your thoughts. It'll all be okay. Focusing on the good things, what we're thankful for, this helps us notice the awesome blessings in our life so much more. Nourishing our spirit, focusing on our faith, prayer, and reflection, this can help us to feel safe. When our world seems rocky, like we're on a roller coaster going too fast, think about all you've learned to help you on your path. Remember, we're all in this together. Take one moment at a time. Things are a little different, but let's be an encourager and be kind. The end. You know, my first thought when Matt shared this with me and I read it was, oh my goodness, adults need to read this. Not not to their kids. <laughs> like adults need to read this and, and reflect on this. And what, what, what struck me about that was there's there's kind of this uh, beautiful simplicity to taking something that's big and impactful and mm-hmm. scary and unknown, and it's broken down into this 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 poem that's just super inviting, engaging that helps us kind of, I guess, reframe what's going on. Those were my first mm-hmm. thoughts. Like, is this for adults or is this for kids? <laughs> Laura, when did you when did you write it? It was actually that weekend of of everything shutting down. It was the telehealth when when we did the teletherapy training to transition our clients into telehealth with you, the one that you were teaching. Mm-hmm. It was that weekend. So mid, was when mid March twenty March. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm, right away. And so what it was is I was actually talking. I have three. Well, I have a teenage son who's going to college next year and a teenage daughter going to high school next year and a middle schooler. But like you said, it was sort of taking something that was very unknown and having this conversation with my own kids and talking to them about how everything was so different and everything was dropping off and it felt really scary. The predictability of their day, what we were all kind of used to, their activities were going away. So it was me trying to kind of explain it to them. And as I was doing that, I was like, you know, I bet everyone is having this conversation in some capacity. And so that's when I kind of sat down and I put down the basic facts of what I was trying to grasp to tell my own kiddos and um, and my nieces and nephews, just kind of like verbalizing those different things that I wanted them to grasp. Like things are different. Our routines are changed. So like normalizing, it's going to feel a little upside down right now, but like, like, let's take a breath and let's reflect on the things that fill us up, like whether it's journaling, journaling or um talking to someone you trust. And so those were like the things that I embedded into the poem, some, some simple kinds of coping skills. So that's sort of what, what prompted it was talking to my own kids and then thinking about all the families, maybe having the same conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I, when I received it, I, I thought this is so timely. It's like you wrote, you, you, you've written this in advance or something. Is this something that you do Do you? Are you, is this a normal part of your life that you write things and illustrate things and, and try to, try to explain things or capture things for, for kids? It is. That's actually one of my biggest passions is as a counselor in the school setting, I would often come across different things or coping skills or lessons that I wanted to teach the children in classes or even in our sessions. And so I would put these different stories, sometimes a poem, sometimes based in fantasy. Um, and I would, I would kind of center it around different characters so they could relate to the character. And sometimes I felt like children could actually learn from a character learning a new skill more than it being imposed on them. So when they would hear the story and they would see this character maybe going through something similar that they were going through, and then them trying some of these new techniques that I was maybe teaching in session or trying to teach in guidance lessons, um, I was able to kind of teach that lesson through a story. I feel like stories are such a beautiful forum to teach things. And then illustrations are sort of just a fun little add on for me. But yeah, definitely it came through um, being in a school setting and kind of wanting to teach particular lessons that maybe I didn't have exactly the tool that I wanted. So I just started creating them. Yeah. And story and uh, creativity is so engaging for kids. They, in, they right. enjoy that. So, and, and for adults, Eric and I were certainly enthralled while you were reading, uh, reading the poem <laughs> to us. Thank you for that. It, just, yeah. just a, just a quick plug. Is this available online? Could, could, uh, can people find it? Yeah. So right now I have um, a website and I do have it posted. It's uh com, and it's posted in my blogs. Um, so that would be uh, a way that they could access it for sure. Bewellnola.com. And we can link to that also okay, that'd uh, be great. as well. Um, so going back to, to, you know, that March last year and, and, and your wisdom to like, let's capture this moment. Let's figure this out. Let's figure out how to start this conversation. I know other people are having this conversation. Let's let me facilitate helping people have this conversation. What about the poem that you just read uh, that you wrote a year ago seems still really 
timely and relevant now for you a year later? What what seems so timely about it? it? It just seems like so much of what you read seems like we're still experiencing this. Yeah. So I think like the one thing that we can, we seem to rely on right now is that everything's going to keep changing. <laughs> mm. And so I think that that kind of is, is embedded in the poem is that like, it's okay to feel a little upside down because our routines are shifting. I know some children and adolescents are virtual learners still. Some are both, some are virtual and in person. Some are in person, but then maybe if their class gets exposed, they're quarantined. So I think that constant shifting can feel like a roller coaster a little bit. And so I think that part of the poem definitely still rings true is that we're still sort of having to to ride this wave of change and to kind of know the things that make us feel grounded. And for kiddos, sometimes we didn't even notice. Maybe they weren't even realizing like, when they played with their friends or they had that music lesson or they went and did um, art or a physical activity or a sport, that that was what kind of nourished them. And so with all of that dropping off, I think that that's where I was trying to kind of help them get back to the root of, okay, let's rebuild some of these skills. Like what can we do even though everything is shut down? What can we do to kind of make you feel like yourself? Like what, what, it, what would those things be? And I think now they're sort of like, they have some things, starting up again. And, um, and so that's good. I think that's good. But yeah, I think some of that still rings true from, from the poem originally written to even now. I think there's a lot in it that still rings true. Uh, I think there's a lot yeah. of, I'm going to say, um, truths, if you will, or, or, or pieces of wisdom that, um, in terms of dealing with, and this is, this is, this is what happens when I hang out with, um, therapists for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, I start to learn to, to, to understand things differently. But right out the bat, you come out and, and um, you do this a couple of times where you kind of normalize their feeling mm -hmm. of like being scary. And one thing that, that struck me was you didn't come out and just normalize it and leave it there. You connected it really quickly to some future event. Hey, this won't last forever. So mm -hmm. you, you, you kind of gave this little piece of wisdom of, hey, there's hope. And I think that's so important in the midst of uncertainty, uh, when we're dealing with uncertainty, um, is that we can, um, we have something to hold on to. And that's something that jumped out at me initially is that, you know, being distant won't last forever. Yeah. I love that. That's true. And that is, that is true. It's kind of that, the mantra that we'll hear like this too shall pass is kind of holding on to trying to know that things are going to start to come back together, but you're right. That is, that is a piece that kind of gives us encouragement. It's been a long year though. And it, 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 I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't gotten better as quickly as I probably thought mm -hmm. it would back in March of 2020. Um, you know, in particular, the, not, you know, the effects on kids are, are interesting in that, you know, many kids are doing well. Many studies are showing that kids are actually doing pretty, pretty okay. Youth are, you know, there's some mixed studies about youth mental health during the pandemic, but adult mental health is not doing so great. There's a lot of, right. a lot of increase in mental health symptoms for adults. And so, um, this it's, it's a little scary, um, could be filled in. You could fill in what's scary about that for adults. And, and there's mm -hmm. lots of things scary for adults, job changes, um, being responsible for my own kids' education for a year is scary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, catching the virus, infecting people I love, um, economic downturn, um, uncertainty about my day, my week, my month. Those are all 
those are all pretty scary things. So this has uh, persisted for quite a long time. You know, I think it, it kind of felt like a camping trip the first week. Right. <laughs> but, but then nobody likes to camp for a year. No. <laughs> yeah. Are, are there, you, you transition at some point in the poem to things that we can do that kids can do, but also adults can do to, mm-hmm. to help us feel better. Um, and I like to move to that part. What, which, as you read that this time, what part of, what are those recommendations that, that still feel really timely to you or timeless, meaning we could switch out the problem coronavirus this time, pandemic this time, but we could switch it out to something else and you would still recommend those same things. What are the, what are those things that you hear yourself recommending a lot to help kids stay grounded? So I think like, well, one thing that I was thinking while, while you guys were um, talking is I do, I've always found children very resilient, but I think like this has sort of tested all of our levels of resilience because of what you said, it's lasted so long. So I think that that's one thing that I think it's important for, you know, parents and families to kind to kind of be mindful of with their children is to look at um, maybe the, the different like resilience, are they observing that they're, they're really getting worn down? Maybe they had quite a few things, important milestones canceled over this past year and it's starting to kind of build up. It's sort of like Acc- keeping accumulate. It, yeah. Yes. Yes. It's kind of starting to build up. So I think that's where those like extra coping skills that like you're saying would kind of span a pandemic or even just being in a good space of mental health is important. And that's, you know, having someone that they know that they can talk to, like having an outlet, any kind of healthy outlet. I think physically a lot of that stuff dropped off. So maybe kind of reflecting on like our bike rides really helpful, taking walks. I know a lot of us really reconnected with our pets. And so, you know, does that kind of fill them up? Taking a walk, playing with their pets. There's so much, so much research that uh, coordinates with animals being such a therapeutic agent. For, for people, for humans. So kind of looking at the things that maybe before they didn't really think of as that was what was making them feel better, but really kind of being mindful of, okay, if I take a walk, I seem to have a better day. Or if I'm getting overwhelmed and I ride my bike, or if I take a minute and listen to some music um, that recenters me, having some meditation time. Um, so kind of having that space, I think the mindful piece of it is it's kind of like that big pause button has helped us to kind of reevaluate and be mindful of the things that either we need to add into our day or things we were doing that maybe we didn't even realize were um, were part of what made us who we were. So if it's the physical activity, mental health kinds of pieces, the spiritual. Um, so I think those are all things that could span, whether it was the pandemic kind of recommendations or even just feeling like your best self. Hmm. I think something something interesting there is um, what you're saying is being mindful. It's so hard sometimes, even for not just for kids, but like for us, we're so busy. There's so much going on. There's so much that we're trying to balance. So taking that time to be reflective mm-hmm. and to be mindful is often challenging. How do you, how would you recommend parents kind of maybe guide their kids in that or, or help us? What would you tell us that we would need to do yeah. first? Because oftentimes our kids are going to follow us. Sure. Sure. And I think that's sort of a neat way to think of this next normal that we're building is um, as everything dropped off without really us having a say so in it, just to keep everyone safe, maybe as we're moving into this next normal, 
taking a moment to really have an inventory of what do we want to add back? What's, what is a necessity to add back into our life or our schedule? But what things were really working for us over the pandemic that we, we don't want to, it's like a non-negotiable now that we want to keep in our routine, whether it's game night or a family dinner or walking your pet, having time with your pet. So I think maybe the mindfulness is sort of, it's, it's that whole paying attention in the present moment. So kind of forcing ourselves to take a breath and notice what's around us, notice what we see, what we smell, kind of what we feel, kind of being in that present moment, and then kind of having those moments of reevaluating um, what's happening. And then, like I'm saying, like even add back, what what do we want to add back and making it, making it intentional um, into our next normal. Yeah, I, I like that. And that's kind of the, the progression that I saw in the poem is there's this recognition. This is how I'm mm-hmm. feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm normalizing to a certain degree. You're, you even end with kind of this normal, this normalization. Hey, look, we're all in this together, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is a struggle that we're all in. So there's like this recognition of how they're feeling. And then it's this movement into, hey, let's reflect on how we're feeling. And let's reflect on what's important to us. And then right. there's this movement into maybe we reframe it. Right. There's this there's this idea of, hey, this was actually good stuff. Like we have game nights. We have pets now. You know, for mm-hmm. our family, we got chickens again. It's been great. It's it's, yeah. it's it's so much fun. Um, and then there's this like this response, like, what are we gonna do now? How are we gonna move forward? You know, after mm-hmm. we've thought about this, we've reflected on this, you know, we've kind of reframed it now. What what's next? It it is there is a forward feeling about the poem, like uh, we're gonna get through this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be challenging for sure, and it's going to be hard. Uh, and you have like coping strategies for the hard parts, but we're going to get through it. And and we have some ability to choose what next year might look like for our family. Um, so that's nice. I know one of my kids would love to start school at nine a.m. every morning. I don't. I don't know that that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to stick. But maybe when they go to college, they just don't sign up for 8 a.m. classes. Maybe that's what they've learned is that maybe colleges (laughs) should get rid of the 8 a.m. class. I think one of my kids would love to stick with remote learning. Really? See, isn't that interesting? Like everybody's kind of learning a different side of themselves. Yeah. Well, there's just so much waste in the normal day, right? Like, what do I need to do? Let me do it. And that's it. I don't want to, don't give me like a super, super... But the the fluff is the the waste, if you will, if you as you said, the the fluff of the school day is often the social moments of the school day, you know, the the few minutes of interacting in the hallway, the few minutes yeah. of of trying to get away with something around lunchtime that that are good memories for kids and and interesting social learning experience experiences for kids that I think they are missing. And um, I've been interested in loneliness during the pandemic. Um, and people feeling alone and, um, and not just lonely and like, you can't see people that you used to see, but lonely in the sense of missing those, what, what some people, some researchers are calling those micro interactions of, of talking to a waiter or talking to a barista or, um, talking to a, a person that you pay your toll to as you're driving or just those little micro moments that help us not feel so lonely, that help us feel connected, that help us remember we're all in this together, that I'm not just protecting me and my family, I'm protecting you and your family. And so um, I I wonder how families, Laura, are 
are replacing those micro moments of connection and particularly kids, how they're, how they're replacing those moments. Yeah. I think that that's been, I find one strength of um, our children and adolescents because of their ability to connect and almost at times feel nourished through an online or virtual connection. I think that's almost turned out to be a strength. I think we always looked at it like we wanted to balance that and not overdo this, the social part of um, interacting through virtually. But I think that actually kind of came back around to be a strength for um, our children and adolescents is the connections online. I don't think they necessarily replace that true interaction with a person. But I think because it's such a normal kind of thing for them that um, I think that they enjoy it. Like I think they get a a sense of socializing through their interactions online with friends or communicating online through FaceTime and things like that. I think that um, uh, my observation is that the, the, the kids seem to sort of acclimate to that a little easier than maybe even adults, because I think we crave a little more of, what we were used to. Um, and that's not for everyone, but that's just generally speaking. I think that I have observed that in some situations that the kids have acclimated nicely to like the virtual connection, even though it doesn't replace the human, uh, interaction. Yeah. Matt and I were talking the other night, like when was the last time we actually saw each other, like in person, like physically? (laughs) Yeah. Eric and I, I feel like I see you a lot, but in reflection, I never see you. I haven't seen you in person in a while. Right, yeah. right. It's such a difference. Has, like has the bottom half of you changed at all? <laughs> I haven't seen the, it's the like bottom the half. It's like that's his avatar. <laughs> right. uh, I, so I, I do want to talk about one more thing uh, here in the poem before we before we wrap up and just kind of hear your your thoughts um, on this idea of, um, of gratitude. It's one of the things you say, focusing on the mm-hmm. good things uh, that we're thankful for. This helps us notice the awesome blessing in our life and so much more. I've been, I, I, I'm kind of, um, um, fascinated or not fascinated, maybe obsessed. Um, but like this idea of gratitude, like I'm always, mm-hmm. um, asking my kids, like, what are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for today? Cause I, I, I feel like if I focus on what I'm thankful for, or if they focus on what they're grateful for, not that it makes everything that, that they're not grateful for go away, but like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I feel like something happens chemically in the brain, right? Y'all could tell me better, but it just kind of maybe, maybe makes us feel better and allows us to handle adversity different or the hard stuff better. And is that? Yeah, I agree. No, I love, that's one of my go-to things too, is like gratitude journals, even for the children and adolescents that I work with, with families. We I talk about like gratitude jars with families, like actually adding in things and maybe sharing some of them at dinner. But I agree with you. I think like, I think I mentioned this earlier, like I think as human beings, we typically look for what could go wrong. I think it's kind of how we're wired to keep ourselves safe, to keep everyone around us safe. And so I think we naturally tend to look for anything that could possibly go wrong. And when that gets stuck on overdrive, which I think right now it could tend to, because with the pandemic, we are very conscious of like germs and is everyone healthy? Are we, are we keeping everyone safe? I think that it's important for us to almost intentionally and like mindfully embed this practice of gratitude because it forces us or trains our brain to look for something good in the day. Even if it's our kids looking for something good because they know we're going to ask them as soon as we see them or something like that. Even if it becomes like, oh, I got to find something good that happened today because- There's dad again. There's dad again. (laughs) What are you you thankful for? Not for you asking me what I'm thankful for. (laughs) 
Right. So I do. I agree with you. I think that I think that it sort of trains our brain to to break out of that um, automation of what could go wrong. How do I need to stay safe? What could possibly? How could we be in danger? And I think it forces us to say, okay, well, this is this is really good. It's a beautiful day. Even if it's simple things, you know, um, I got a great parking spot or I did this or, you know, whatever the simple things are that you sort of train your brain to look for those positive moments. I think, I think it does make a difference for sure. I, I, I think it's certain. I think it certainly helps. I think though that, um, when it's, it's best when it's a self directed practice. So it's mm-hmm. me thinking about what, what I'm grateful for when somebody imposes on me, that I have to be grateful for something when I'm suffering that often True. feels like that often feels like you don't get where I'm coming from man. you don't get it. You don't get mm-hmm. it. And so I think uh, sometimes as, as parents and just people, we need to give our, ourselves space to not feel grateful, to feel yeah. upset, to feel cheated, to feel frustrated. And, and so there's kind of, maybe there's a couple of jars. There's the, I'm upset about this thing jar and I'm grateful for this thing. And if we can acknowledge what we're upset about, it's much easier than to get to grateful than if we just try to blow by what we're upset about. And so I think both, and I, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think, I think both of those are, are possible. And I think really kids are great at holding both of those things in their mind simultaneously. They can say, I, I don't like that I don't get to go to my sporting event, but mm-hmm. I do like that I get to sleep in a little bit later. So I think they're a little bit better at being grateful and frustrated simultaneously. Pa- adult, we think we have to be, you know, singularly grateful a lot of times. Right, like or, all or, or nothing. We're not, or we're not yeah. grateful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, so I agree The with ability you. to hold those things in tension kids can do it better yeah. than us. And I, I used to, with um, our families in school, we used to often talk about like saying like the high and the low of the day. And I loved yeah. hearing the high, but often the low was what spurred more conversation. And like, you maybe wouldn't have even known about this thing. Like you were saying, like something that was really important to them that was a disappointment or that wouldn't have even come to the table if, if it maybe mm-hmm. wouldn't have said, well, what was your high point, but what was your low point too? So I agree with you. I think kind of bringing those things, um, prompting it is actually helpful and probably even therapeutic in a lot of ways where they can kind of have a forum to say, this wasn't so great when this happened, but this was a good part too. I think you're right. I think kids do a better job of kind of flowing with recess was awesome, but then this wasn't. And then they're back to this is good. And this one wasn't. Whereas I think, mm-hmm. At times, adults can sort of like, once something sort of happens, it's harder for us at times to bounce back. Yeah. When I think about like, what can we learn from kids during their experience of the pandemic? Mm -hmm. One of the first things that comes to mind is flexibility. Oh, yes. You know, Mm. Mm -hmm. flexibility is such a key ingredient to resiliency. Resilient people are flexible people. I agree. Um, and, and kids, just like, I mean, if you think about your own physical body and, fl- and being flexible, being flexible, like being able to touch your toes and all of that stuff, being physically flexible, it's good for your body. Mm-hmm. And that as we age, we often become less flexible. Kids are more flexible. <laughs> They're also like emotionally, cognitively more flexible. Like mental gymnastics, and, I like to yeah, say. Matt, were you more yeah. flexible at 36 than you are now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm, I was not more flexible at 36 because I have worked on my flexibility, Eric. I have worked hard to become a more flexible person. People think 
sometimes people will say, man, you're so laid back. I am not laid back. I am. I, I can be a rigid person, mm-hmm. um, but I've, I've worked on becoming more can flexible. Can you say that again? <laughs> I am not always laid back. I'm pretty, I can be a pretty <laughs> rigid person, especially when it's not going the I can look flexible if it's going the way I want it to go. I look yeah. flexible. Yeah. Um, but what I've seen from kids, um, in and out, you know, all over during the last year is that they can roll with stuff mm-hmm. that have freaked adults out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they have just been able to roll with some stuff that has just like terrorized adults. Um, and so I do think that um, kids have been more flexible. And then if I, you know, flexibility is so strongly correlated with resiliency. So if you want to be able to get through tough stuff, you better put on your flexibility pants. Yeah. And I think that flexibility is almost like a muscle. Like we have to practice it. We have to work it out. I feel like that's one thing yeah. that we often mention, like even in, um, in, in, our, in my practice is talking about little things that maybe can happen in a child's day. Like I think routines are so, so necessary for, for children and adolescents. Yeah. I think it provides safety and security and predictability. And I think that's part of like this upside down feeling right now, but kind of establishing that routine and all is so, is so helpful. But then also when a little bit of something pops up, that's not expected kind of talking them through them, helping them have that coping skill because it's like a practice practicing that flexibility muscle helps to build that resilience so that they can um, move forward. I like to even tell them like remind your kids of past successes. Like maybe there was something that they didn't want to do or a team they didn't want to join or a lesson that they didn't want to partake in. And then all of a sudden they met their best friend there or something really, really great turned out from that. So embedding like those past successes into things that feel difficult when they're trying to shift gears kind of helps stretch that flexibility muscle. And then it kind of, like you said, it it coordinates and correlates so strongly with resilience. It kind of helps. It's like a building cycle. Yeah, That's awesome. Definitely. Well, we, um, speaking of thankfulness and gratitude, I am especially thankful and grateful for you sharing with us today. Um, I think that as big people, we tend to complicate things sometimes. And I know life is complicated. I'm not suggesting that it's not and that it's easy, but I think we let the complications of life dictate so much to us. And I think if we look at kids and the way kids process the world, I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot for us to learn from there. Even in my own in my own business, as I talk about money, it's complicated. It's hard. It's tied to to I mean, there's bad things that can happen to people if if they don't manage their money right. Um, but how how do how can we get or how can I get people to understand some simple principles of money? Mm-hmm. I think about it. How do I get my kid to understand these simple principles of money? And not to not to infantilize money or, or people, but I think we just have so much to learn from just the almost like this, this unbiased, um, simple perspective that kids can take. So I'm especially grateful and especially thankful for you. I know listening to... Um, uh, to your story and listening to this poem and hearing you explain this stuff, it makes me a better financial advisor. And my my clients are probably thankful that I'm able to better understand struggle and help them reflect and help them respond and make decisions. So thank you. Um, oh, you're welcome. That. Thank you. I think that's a really good technique for parents to kind of know, like a little superpower when they're ever trying to talk to their children or adolescents about something that's complex or difficult is to 
to be truthful and honest, but kind of give like a simple explanation and kind of meet their children and adolescents where they are and then let them ask questions because then you can kind of gain more insight into like what you were saying, like developmentally, what are their questions? Because we're entering whatever the situation is with our adult brain, which is carrying probably a lot more anxiety or worry with whatever the situation is. So meeting them where they are so that we don't create more anxiety or more stress for them, giving them this simple kinds of um, truthful explanation of what's going on, developmentally appropriate, and then letting them ask us questions so that we can understand like how they're processing it. And to kind of say like, okay, well, let me answer those specific questions instead of giving so much information that we actually create more fear and more anxiety, or maybe they hadn't even processed it to that point. Um, so yeah, I think that I think that that's a good um, a good tip. And I often remind um, the parents that I'm working with for that because we're processing whatever it is with our adult brain. So we have to be mm. mindful of that. I was going to ask you to leave us with a, a last piece of wisdom, but I think you just oh. did that. That was, that was gold. <laughs> That was cool. <laughs> tell um tell our listeners how they can find you if they want to learn more about you or do you take are you taking new clients? How can they find you if they want to um um talk to you about um their kids? Yeah, so I have a website bewellnola.com. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. I have a link through there where they can email me um to get in touch with me if they're interested in learning more about um, sessions or, or set and learning more about the counseling process. Um, I also have my blog on there that has a few entries about different topics that they may find helpful. Um, so yeah, so that would probably be the best way uh, is email or through my website. Awesome. Thanks so much. And we're going to put those links in our, in the show notes, Matt, any thoughts? Yeah. As a, uh, as somebody who focuses primarily on couples therapy, which means I generally work with adults, it's so good to know that there are so many great kid therapists out there. And Laura, that that the kids of New Orleans have you, that's such a, such a great uh, thing to remember and to know that uh, they're in good hands. Thanks thank for- Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being with us and thanks for sharing your, your work and your wisdom. Thank you yeah, so yeah. much. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Matt and I like to, we talk about, um, um, obviously as a financial advisor, investing, um, one of the things that we always like to say though, that relationships are often more valuable than our money. We believe so strongly in investing in our relationships and what better way than to invest in our kids. Thanks again, doctor. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.